Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Good and Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at gunnageeknetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On this week's episode, how Netflix is fighting back strong with Bird Box and Bandersnatch. Our thoughts on the Golden Globes and just how popular can a mass singer truly be? All this and more as we once again delve into the Pop Culture Cosmos. Welcome to the Pop Culture Cosmos. And we're back with another episode of the Pop Culture Cosmos. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate everyone out there listening to all of our programs. But it wouldn't be a Pop Culture Cosmos without the man himself accepting the award for Best Fellow Host. You got to catch everything today on HumanicaMedia.com, HumanicaMedia on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and so much more. It is my good friend. And congratulations to you on your award, my friend. Just like they did at the Golden Globes. It is Josh Peterson. What's up, man? I tell you, it was a close race with Bohemian Rhapsody, but I, I won for the uh, best co-host. So there's that. I'd like to thank the Academy. Well, we'd like to thank you for listening to our show today. We've got a lot of things to talk about. Plus, we also have Jessica Boggs from the TV Ratings Guide and TVRatingsGuide.com. She's going to be stopping by with our January TV Ratings Update where we're going to be talking about a lot of things, including the Orville, a lot of great new shows, the Blacklist, upcoming shows on the way. Brooklyn Nine-Nine is also on the way. And of course, we're going to talk about just how popular is The Masked Singer. Also as well, Josh is coming up with a review of Assassin's Creed Odyssey. We're going to be talking about on the back end of the show, a little bit about what's coming up this week at CES. But right now, we got to talk about some good stuff when it comes to Netflix, my friend, because Netflix, don't count them out just yet as being the chief out there among everybody when it comes to streaming platforms, because despite all the stuff that they're getting rid of, despite all the stuff that's leaving, like the Disney Marvel stuff, you know what? They're still doing very strong when it comes to a lot of good things and a lot of good programs on their network. They just announced that Bird Box, in its first seven days, garnered 45 million views. And Bandersnatch is the talk out there when it comes to pop culture with its alternate endings. Your thoughts first off on Bird Box. I call it a hybrid of The Happening, World War Z, and A Quiet Place. I didn't say it was as good as any of those movies. Maybe better than The Happening. But... It is garnering a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of people out there taking on the Bird Box Challenge. Don't do it, by the way, Netflix says. Yeah, I was going to say, they actually just put out a warning. Somebody crashed a car last night trying to drive doing the Bird Box Challenges. I was reading a news story about it. He ran into a van or something. Hmm, Um, I guess if you put a blindfold on and you try to drive, that may happen. Yeah, yeah, very true. It's weird because I've never come across a movie ever that is so widely loved and widely hated and i for that reason alone i am curious enough to watch bird box but not curious enough to watch it right now so that being said i know enough about the plot i love the memes that it's created i love how it's become such a phenomenon between even you know with people who hate it it's just it's one of those movies that is you know netflix does that they create these movies and some of them hit some of them miss and some of them are bird box and this is one of those movies where it's it does have audiences divided but the hype has become so big with it that everybody is watching it so this is causing netflix views to skyrocket how many views do you say it had within the first week of being out 
It is the highest of all time for the network that was announced by their CEO. And you know, CEOs only love to announce good things. And it is 45 million within the first seven days of, of availability. 45 million accounts actually got a chance to view it. So that doesn't even account maybe repeated viewing by some of those accounts. Right. But this is kind of digging into like Netflix is, I don't know if they're, you know, what, how their, their marketing strategies work, but they're kind of digging into what viewers want to see, what creates hype, what creates controversy, how to get people to watch things. Because, you know, look, they have Stranger Things, even that like the second season was very divisive, but still a lot of people watched it, you know, and they, they you know, they're putting out Bird Box, they have all these horror movies coming out. And it's just it's there. I think they're slowly figuring out the formula to what gets viewers. So once you know, all these companies start dropping out of their service is as far as like Fox and Disney goes, they're going to be able to know what they need to do as far as creating their own original content to make that money back that they lost. Cause they were, I'm th I think, what was it last? It was last year, or the year before they were still like $8 billion in debt or something like that. I think it was reported at some point in time in 2018, but you're right. It's, they still spent a huge amount of money on trying to create original content They've obviously got a lot of influx of cash because of the, you know they do have so many millions of subscribers out there. But like you said, it does pay off. For instance, the Cloverfield Paradox, which was going to go to the theaters, but they, I think the production company and the distribution company realized it was going to be a turkey and DOA, decided they go ahead and go with Netflix. Netflix debuted that commercial at the Super Bowl last year, and look what it did for that short-term huge amount of buzz that it garnered for such a god-awful film right but that's the beauty of netflix though is that people are going on there to watch bad movies and you know whatever that means for netflix as far as what kind of content they're creating it's still working for them and if they can keep doing that keep making stuff like that they don't necessarily have to put millions of dollars into these productions. They just have to make something that people are going to talk about. If they say it's good, people will watch it. If they say it's bad, it's people are going to watch it. There's not really a lot they can do to shoot themselves in the foot, so to speak. I did see Bird Box. For me, it was just something that passed the time. It wasn't truly something that was memorable in any way, shape, or form. When I watched it, you could see a lot of the things coming a mile away. It was, in this case, a suicide paint-by-numbers type deal where you're just waiting for one, another one, another one, and then there's one that's going to knock off a few at, at, at one time because they want to hurry up the plot and get to the reality, which was the inner battle between the evil entities that are causing this destruction and this mass suicide and Sandra Bullock. You're waiting for this final conflict to occur it doesn't do anything really new or anything you have, haven't seen before. But for some reason, it's just clicked so well with a lot of members out there. They seem to really appreciate it. I didn't find too much interest in it after watching it. But then again, like I said, to me, it was a hybrid of other movies that, in the case of World War Z and A Quiet Place, did much better than what I saw in Bird Box. I'd probably put me into the realm of do not like it. I don't need to ever watch it again. I have no desire to, but it was just nice as a curiosity to see what all this fuss was all about. And after watching it again, like I did the Cloverfield Paradox, I wonder why I did. So when you got to the end, how did you feel about it? You feel like you could never get those two hours back? Or was this something that you were glad that you could now become a part of the conversation? I'm kind of disappointing. I'll never get that two hours back. But you're now part of the conversation, though. So, yeah, I guess if that's a conversation to be had. In fact, it is a conversation to be had by us simply because of the fact that so many millions watched it out there. And obviously, it has retained some kind of interest to people out there, whether it's the memes or it's the movie. That's what I want to know. Is your curiosity more because of the movie or is it because of the memes of the movie? Well, my curiosity about the movie is the fact that I, you know, it's not even the memes because first, for me, it was that everyone was talking about it. Everyone was talking about how... Well, then why is everybody talking about it? Is it because the movie or the memes? I don't know. That's a great question because I, I got online. I think this was this was the day after it dropped and I went online and like a, or on social media. Everyone's talking about other people saying, oh, I love the movie. And there are people going, oh, I hated the movie. And so I'm like, why are we even talking about this movie? The press wasn't really a huge fan of it. But 
the memes that came out on regarding the movie became a cultural phenomenon. I think a lot of people watched it initially within the first seven days because it was something that Netflix really strongly promoted and it was just brand new content at the end of the year that people were really starving for because we're seeing the same thing again with Black Mirror and Bandersnatch. I got about 10 minutes into it. I'm, I plan on finishing it, but it's very interesting because I am a fan. Like I always make references to those old pick your own adventure novels where you get to kind of like for this ending, turn this page and it goes. And I always, for some reason, got the endings that ended like halfway through the book. So I was really bad at making decisions. Probably still am. But it's interesting because I, I pulled up a flow chart on Reddit to see like where each of the decisions take you. And a lot of them are the same up until you get to the point where the where you get the job offer. And then that's when all the stuff starts branching out. You start getting the movie could could end or it can keep going depending on what kind of decisions you make. And it's really like you have to strategize. It's crazy. You know, it's like Mass Effect. You say the wrong things and you're going to get attacked. I'm impressed. I am really impressed. Like I was not expecting this. And it's making me wonder, maybe this is going to be a future form of media. What do you think, though? That's what I was going to talk to you about. And is this the, the first step to something truly interactive for the consumer out there? As a whole, I didn't enjoy it because I got to see a lot of the endings and a lot of the, the parallels as far as where you're going branching out for the actual show itself. As a whole, I didn't really enjoy the, the show itself too much. I, as someone who lived through the 80s, I kind of liked the nostalgia factor. And I obviously like the music that they play and the shows on the show. But as a whole, the you know following the character where where he does some some nefarious things or the frustrations that comes in and trying to develop his brand new style of gaming, that part of it, I just it seemed to falter a bit as far as any path that you choose. But the concept itself, as a originating style of entertainment, that's something that on a mass medium scale can really be played out. That to me is like you said, very unique. And I wanted to ask you, you're intrigued by it. I know a lot of others are. And this looks like something that in the future, if done correctly, could be something really worthwhile. What are your thoughts out there on Bird Box and Black Mirror Bandersnatch? Did you like it? Did you not like it? When it comes to Bandersnatch, the interactiveness as far as choosing your own path, did you try it again and choose something different? Have you taken up the Bird Box challenge as well? What are your thoughts on both? Pop Culture Cosmos at Yahoo.com. Also as well, Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanity Media, and Game Sorts on Facebook and Twitter as well. So the Golden Globes just concluded, my friend. And a quick update to everyone out there. The winners include Bohemian Rhapsody for Best Drama. Best Motion Picture for a Comedy or Musical is Green Book. Best Limited Series or Motion Picture Made for Television would be The Assassination of Gianni Versace, American Crime Story from FX. Best TV series, comedy, or musical is The Kominsky Method. Best director is Alfonso Cuaron from Roma. Best motion picture in four language was Roma. Not a surprise there. And just so much more when it comes to a lot of good stuff, including best animation went to Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Any surprises to you that, that you know when you look at the entire list? Because there's so much... You know that that people want when it comes from a TV, or also as well a movie standard. There's so many winners that were out there, but a lot of surprises as well. Your thoughts on the Golden Globes before we head to break, and I want to hear your thoughts on exactly if there's any one or any picture that was out there that really stuck out to you as being deserving or not so deserving. Okay, so I I, I still want to see Bohemian Rhapsody. Have not seen it. I actually have not seen anything on this list. So just bear with me for a minute. Vice. Okay, we've talked about Vice, and the the reviews have not been favorable with Vice. I don't know, man. It it hasn't marked as a comedy. So, I just wanted to ask you, how does that work? Why is this classified under comedy? But most of all, why are the Golden Globes important, especially when we have like the Oscars and the Academy Awards? Why is Bohemian Rhapsody a drama and not a musical? Yeah, yeah. Like a lot of these don't make sense. You know, Spider Man, best animated picture. That. That makes sense without being that category. It's awesome that that one too. You know, I'm surprised to even have a anything superhero related in an award show like this. Best television series. So the Americans. This confuses me because this show has been on for a very, very, very long time. So I'm curious how it got the nomination. But you know, back to my other question here. 
why are the Golden Globe Awards important? Why should anyone really pay attention or really care about any of this stuff when there's much bigger award shows coming up in the earlier parts of the year? Well, I'll tell you first on The Americans, because it just finished its sixth season and it ended its run. A lot of critics that are out there have called it one of the best shows ever made for television. It is really good, and I highly recommend it to anybody out there that wants to get into a really good series. The Golden Globes as a whole, it's the first major highlight for Hollywood of the new year. And the fact that it does start that real ball rolling when it comes to what could be and what may not be favorites to get nominated and or win the Oscars, which is the obviously for the movies, the big prize out there. It's probably the third or fourth most valued award show that's out there for Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, I guess I see that. But I don't know. It's weird to me because Oscars are the standard, right? Those are the ones everybody knows. Everyone talks about every year. And then you have, you know, the the Golden Globes. And it's it's I didn't even know this was happening until I turned on my computer tonight. So it's just it's not something that's on the the radar of an average Joe like myself. But yeah, for someone that that has a passive interest in stuff like this, I can understand why it missed on by with yourself and a lot of others as well. When we come back, you're up, my friend. It'll be you talking about what? Assassin's Creed Odyssey, a sprawling Greek epic of deadly proportions. Your full review of Assassin's Creed Odyssey will be coming up right after the break. Right after that, Jessica Boggs stops by from the TV Ratings Guide to give us a January TV update. And then on the back end, we preview an upcoming little electronic show called CES. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. Looking for an edge the next time you take on your favorite video game? Then check out Vitabrace High Performance Gamer Wristbands. Packed with the power of fruit seed oil, Vitabrace is clinically proven to help improve performance, giving you a better gaming experience. Head to MiracleFruitOil.com and use the promo code MEDIA10 to get $10 off your Vitabrace purchase. Whether you're looking to beat the time on your latest speedrun or are fighting your way to the top on your favorite multiplayer or battle royale, Vitabrace can help you reach your gaming goals. Buy Vitabrace today at MiracleFruitOil.com that's MiracleFruitOil.com. Vitabrace. Win with it. What's up, everybody? Josh here from the Pop Culture Cosmos show. And I'm going to talk to you today about a game that I played called Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Assassin's Creed Odyssey is the biggest Assassin's Creed game I have ever played. It's also the best Assassin's Creed game I have ever played. As somebody who usually only has a few hours before bed to play video games, I spent quite a few nights staying up late and hating life the next day just to progress further in the game. I think when all was said and done, I'd spent about 93 hours of my life clearing quests and hunting cultists from one side of the Greek world to the other. To the casual gamer and people who don't game, 93 hours seems a bit excessive. For comparison, I logged 87 hours into The Elder Scrolls V Skyrim back in 2011, but I assure you that it was time well spent, and here's why. When one thinks of Assassin's Creed, they usually think of a story that started out intriguing, got sort of intense, and then ultimately ended up going nowhere. What made that roller coaster tolerable was the historic settings and the usually tragic lives of the protagonists found throughout the Animus. The trouble with that was that even those stories weren't always that interesting. While you can certainly make a case for the Ezio trilogy and the Assassin's Creed IV Black Flag being amazing games, all the others had pacing and technological issues. Even 2017's Assassin's Creed Origins, though a beautiful game, had its fair share of issues, especially in terms of storytelling. One thing they did do right last time around, however, was reincorporate the modern-day setting which Ubisoft seemed to put on the back burner over the past few entries. Assassin's Creed Odyssey's modern story picks up with the same character, Layla Hassan, still fleeing from the Templars and now part of the Brotherhood of the Assassins. Uh, how that happened, they don't really go into detail, but if you played the last game, you know that Layla got attacked at the end after uncovering something that apparently the Templars wanted and did not want her to know about so do the modern bits push the story forward at all no not really is it still interesting yeah i would say so 
Through Layla, you learn what the assassins have been up to in the years since the demise of Desmond Miles and the release of the benevolent, self-proclaimed gods from the Abstergo mainframe, which you might recall happened in Black Flag. While Odyssey ends with a touching scene between Layla and the game's historical protagonist, Alexios or Cassandra, whoever you uh, pick to play as, it still doesn't expand the mythology in terms of the bigger picture. The Odyssey, though, is an entirely different story, and it's one that feels complete for what might be the first time ever in the franchise. In Assassin's Creed Odyssey, you play as either Alexios or Cassandra, an amateur Mystios, another word for mercenary, from the Greek island of Kefalonia. As soon as the game starts, you're thrown into action thanks to your friend and mentor, Marcus, who instead of paying back money he owed to a local thug, spent it on a vineyard. This, in turn, gets Alexios into some trouble that ends up being the catalyst for his journey. There's so many elements to this story, but here's a quick rundown that I'll try to keep as free of spoilers as I can. There's a group of powerful individuals controlling the Greek world called the Cult of Cosmos. One of them shows up on Kefalonia to employ the services of Alexios. What does he want? He wants to send Alexios to kill his own father, the Wolf of Sparta. From there, Alexios discovers that his mother is still alive and the cult is after her. The cult is also using his sister, Cassandra, or brother Alexios, again depending on who you play as, to do their bidding. What is their obsession with this family? They have the blood of Leonidas running through their veins, and that gives them abilities far beyond those of an average human. So they never go into detail about how Leonidas obtained his spear, which contains technology from the first civilization, or how they came to possess the powers they have. The main questline of the game is your odyssey, which revolves around finding the members of your family and getting them all back together, assuming your choices throughout the game don't result in their deaths. The second quest is a hunt for the Cult of Cosmos. Once Alexios, or again Cassandra, infiltrates the cult meeting, finds the artifact they have, and meets their sibling, whoever you choose not to play as, this one takes a lot of time, which is fine because a majority of the places where you find the cult members can't be easily traversed without being a higher level. Other cult members you encounter just by doing the side quest. Take my advice and do the side quest. The third quest line is the one involving the artifacts that need to be returned to Atlantis. This is where Greek mythology meets science fiction. After meeting your biological father in Atlantis, he tasks you with hunting down four artifacts that are allegedly the key to understanding the knowledge left behind by the first civilization. After defeating the Minotaur, a Cyclops, a Sphinx, and a Gorgon, you return to Atlantis only to discover something that could change the course of the Assassin's Creed games forever. Make sure you complete these questlines in order, Odyssey, Cult, Atlantis, because the game's true ending comes after the Atlantis quest, and even then, it doesn't really end at least not in the bow-on-top way that Origins ended. I imagine it's because of the add-ons they're planning on releasing over the course of 2019. The progression system, while still very linear, allows you to pick from three different gameplay styles depending on how you're used to playing Assassin's Creed games. For example, there are three different categories that you can fill out stats for. One of them is stealth-oriented, one is focused on fighting, and the other is for hunting and more technical skills. If you don't want to focus on any one category in particular, you mix and match. However, I must warn you that certain skills in certain categories can make the game a lot easier or a lot more challenging. Then there's the fact that each skill requires your spear to be a certain level to unlock. How these two things got tied together I'm not exactly sure, but to gain higher spear levels you have to hunt down the Cult of Cosmos members and obtain their pieces of the artifact. If I remember correctly, you only have to upgrade your spear five levels before being able to max out certain skills and abilities. On the flip side of the upgrade coin is the weapon and armor system. Your weapons not only increase your damage, they also give you added perks depending on what you're using them for, and even more perks can be gained through engraving your weapons with different options supplied by blacksmiths throughout the game. The same goes for the armor. It took me a while to figure out the engraving system, but the perks they provide your armor can make you a beast in the right scenarios. I want to briefly talk about the side quest. Like most of the Assassin's Creed games that came before, this game has enough side quests to well outrun the hours you'll spend playing through the three main quests. However, unlike your standard role-playing games, Assassin's Creed Odyssey actually encourages you to play the side quest by making regions level-specific, sort of like they did in Origins. If you don't want to do the side quest, you can purchase experience points from the Xbox Marketplace. Gotta love those microtransactions. The same can be said for the map. If you don't want to take the time to go exploring, you can buy a pack that will fill in all the things your map might be missing. I want to discourage you from doing this because this game has so much in it that is so great. None of the side quests felt unnecessary. Each character you encounter in this world is genuinely engaging or crazy enough to hold your interest. Some of them are your standard hunt this down and kill this person type of quest and others take a very dark turn. 
There's also plenty of opportunity for romance, and though sleeping your way through these quests can shorten the game time considerably, that tactic feels somewhat unfulfilling, and if you play the story arcs involved in the side quest to completion, it can yield rewards or friends who might choose to become part of your crew or give you entrance to places that you couldn't easily access before. Another thing that was brought back in Assassin's Creed Odyssey is naval combat. While the entries that came before this tried so hard to recreate the combat system that made Black Flag so magical, they always fell short. This time they hit the mark. Keep in mind that there aren't any cannons in this, so it requires a little more effort to sink enemy vessels, but it is so much fun. You can upgrade your ship to strengthen the hull for ramming, install fire pits for flaming arrows, and you can even customize the cosmetics to make you the most feared crew on the sea. If boarding ships is more your style, rather than just destroying them, they brought back the boarding mechanics, so choose your crew wisely. You might also want to take caution when choosing your generals because each person you meet throughout the world that allows you the option of making them part of your crew brings with them a perk of some kind. If worse comes to worse, though, there's nothing more satisfying than using the Spartan Kick ability to send an enemy flailing into the ocean to either drown or get eaten by the many sharks swimming in those waters. I don't think I've said many negative things about this game, but it does have some. First, however, let me highlight or re-examine the good. This is the most compelling story an Assassin's Creed game has ever had. I always tell people that Assassin's Creed is fun because it's mind-numbing. This game is fun because it immerses you in a world and holds you there until you put the controller down. The gameplay is smooth, and though it has several bugs, which I will discuss in a minute, there wasn't any point where it felt repetitive or tiresome. While I loved exploring the tombs in Assassin's Creed Origins, the tomb exploration in Odyssey felt a lot better, and though the snakes are still annoying, it's quite enjoyable to throw a torch at them or hit them with a flaming arrow. Above everything else in this game, the game itself is absolutely beautiful. Every valley, every city, every mountaintop is rendered in a wide variety of colors that bring an element of realism to the game that I've seen in little else. The weapon and armor system feels leagues better than that of Origins. I also appreciate how Ubisoft listened to the fans and now allows you to remove stats from one set of armor and place it on another. I'll be honest, the demigod armor you get after facing your sibling, while very strong, is really ugly but I didn't find anything better for several hours after getting that, and when you upgrade it, it's still one of the strongest sets of armor you have, so it feels silly not to wear it. Now I can take those stats and put them on an armor set that actually looks cool. Uh, as for negative things, I will start by saying that there were far too many cult members to track down for an ending that wasn't all that satisfying. Even after you complete the Odyssey and all the side quests, there's still several that you have to track down clues to find. Once you get the clues, it turns out they're not actually hiding. They're out in the open, but they won't show up on the map until the clues are found. This is probably the only part of the game that felt monotonous. I know many will probably disagree with me on this, but I wasn't a huge fan of the mercenary system. This was something that was introduced in Origins, and was also annoying in that game. If they limited how many mercenaries came after you at once, that would be fine, but anytime there's a bounty on your head, you can be confronted by several, which is unfortunate considering some of the Odyssey quests require you to kill individuals who are practically swarmed by mercenaries. They also talk a lot of crap. Uh, other than the mercenary system and the cultist hunt, the game does have quite a few bugs. I even went online to make sure it wasn't just me that was experiencing them. I played on an Xbox One, so I'm not sure if it happened on other systems, but here's a rundown of what I experienced. There are times when you would be drawn into cutscenes and enemies would attack you during those cutscenes, resulting in your death the moment you regain control of your character. There's also an issue of having my character completely disappear except for his armor whenever I chose to change his armor. This didn't happen all the time, but it was frequent enough to make a note of it. Then there's the game freezing altogether. This always happened at moments when the audio was becoming intense or louder. The game would freeze up while my television made a groaning sound. After a few seconds of this, it would just go back out to the title screen. This happened at least once each time I played. To close the complaint section out, I suppose as mentioned above, I would have liked an actual ending. The ending from completing the Atlantis questline was cool and unexpected, but like all the other games that came before this one, it just opens more boxes instead of closing existing ones. Uh, warning spoiler ahead. And while they did bring back the modern protagonist, Layla Hassan, they didn't really give any indication of what she wanted or what she planned on doing with the trident given to her by Alexios. The game was amazing, but there wasn't much at the end in terms of closure. I'm hoping this is because of the planned DLC installments, the first of which is available now. Overall, Assassin's Creed Odyssey is a beautiful game that casts a very large shadow over its predecessors. The role-playing mechanics they introduced in Origins feel more refined and motivating, the side quests were immersive and interesting, the exploration was well worth the time it took, Ubisoft did an incredible job with this one. I'm hoping to see more of Alexios and Layla in the planned add-ons, which will be releasing in installments over the course of 2019. Allegedly, the franchise is going to be taking another year off, except for the add-ons, 
and return in 2020 was something special. The changes made last time they took a year off are any indication the future looks good. The only thing that would make the future even brighter for this franchise is a direction for the story in both past and present narratives. I say this whenever I review one of these games. Ubisoft needs to make up their minds and take the story somewhere. It feels like we've been going in circles since 2007's Assassin's Creed. I don't know if it's a fear of the franchise ending or too much focus being put on the future entries, but it needs direction. I played this game on an Xbox One and I score it at a 9 out of 10. Thanks for tuning in. If you want to find more reviews and great episodes of our podcast, the Pop Culture Cosmos Show and the PCC Multiverse, you can find them on Apple Podcasts, podcast.com, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and other great podcasting outlets around the globe. Also, we would love if you could follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and even click the old subscribe button on YouTube. All right, cool, guys. Until next time, it's been a pleasure. Rob McCallum Films is back with a vengeance. Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which chronicles the ultimate 80s billion-dollar franchise, Masters of the Universe. See exclusive interviews and hear untold stories from the people responsible for creating the world of Eternia, a place full of magic and science, and learn about the craft of creating action figures and animation. Power of Grayskull is just one of our many projects at Rob McCallum Films. We are back once again, and it is that time of the month. We need a TV fix. Who better to give us that TV fix each and every month than our good friend? She is the star reporter, shall I say, <laughs> of the TVRatingsGuide.com. You got to check out all the great things that are going on at the TV Ratings Guide with all the new scripts that they come up with, the new show ideas, the constant updates on the TV ratings world each and every day whether it's broadcast, cable, what have you, a lot of great articles, a lot of great reviews, and so much more. It is the TVRatingsGuide.com. It is Jessica Boggs. Always great to have you back on the show, Jessica. It is great to be on. And there's a lot to talk about. You know, I thought it might be kind of a dead time as far as a lot of stuff going on in pop culture, because it kind of is, I'll be honest with you. There's a, a lot of end of the year stuff, beginning of the year stuff. It really doesn't start kicking in until later this week with CES and all that. But you know what? The TV world out there never sleeps. It never stops. And while a lot of good things are going on with Netflix that Josh and I talked about, there's also some great things out there going on in the world of television. And you know what? I'm going to put on my mask right now because I know that's the first thing we want to talk about is The Masked Singer. Yeah, the biggest one on Fox's lineup right now is The Masked Singer. And when it premiered, it premiered to, at first it was a 2.9, and then Fast Nationals, the finals, had it adjusted up to a 3.0. In the large 18 to 49 demo, which is the crucial demo to networks out there, the one that they really go by as far as an overarching rating. I mean, yeah, that's great that everybody watches something, but... When the key 18 to 49 demo watches something and really keys in on something, that's the really the most important. Is that correct? That is correct. And Mass Singer got like over 9 million viewers tuned in and 3% of the demo tuned in pretty much a 3.0. The second highest rated show on Fox after Thursday Night Football. And TVRG said out there, the TV ratings guide, they basically said that it was one of the largest, if not the largest rated show of the year outside of footballs, as far as the season so far is concerned. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Oh my gosh. All that and just people singing with a mask on. Yeah. Like I said, I've got my mask on. I'm going to go ahead and hum a few bars. Can people tell who it is? Me, 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 me. All right. Anyways. But yes, that is some great news, obviously, for Fox, which is so desperate to try and finally get over that hump and become number one as far as the overall rating scene is concerned. This is something that they've tried for many, 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 many years. They're closing in on it ever so carefully, ever so closely, and it all starts with The Masked Singer and obviously a lot of other great programs as well. But there's also a lot of other stuff to talk about. I know there's also another show that debuted in the Titan Games, which is supported by The Rock, again, lending his name and presence to a type of athletic endeavor format, part game, part athletic event. 
your thoughts on the Titan Games, how it performed, and its vision for the future. How, how well do you think it's going to perform continuously down the road? I feel like it's young skewing for a premiere, but it's, again, it's not as big as The Masked Singer. So with either one, you have to see where the numbers will settle. Do you think it was more the show or more the presence of The Rock that actually gave it its nice return on the rating scene? I think it was a little bit of both. Is this something that you could see continuing on as a show that's successful? Because I kind of liken this show to American Gladiators as far as the Titan Games is concerned, maybe an updated model of it. And American Gladiators, as you know, from TV history and all that, is something that did perform pretty well over a course of a three, four-year period. So your thoughts on the Titan Games being something that could be successful for a little while to come? Well, yes, it could be moderately successful. It's strong on NBC. And NBC will definitely promote it. So I, I agree with you on that. So it's something that, at least in the short term, you could see some really good benefits from it. Long term, there is still some question, but you know, people seem to be going for these competition series right now at a very high level, whether it's singing or whether it's athletics. And it looks forward to, for The Rock, another success on television this time. And obviously a good note for NBC. There's also some other returning shows that we wanted to talk about. Speaking of NBC, I'll start there. The Blacklist, a show that you know, once was really one of the shows you got to catch each and every week at one time has fallen on a little bit of hard times. Your thoughts on the blacklist now that it moved over to a new day and a new time? Well, it moved to Fridays, and it had Titan Games as the lead-in on Thursday, and it got a .9. And once it moved over, it got a .6, which is like a brand-new series low, but two-tenths higher than what Blindspot and Midnight Texas have done. So it is an improvement in that time slot. It's just overall, it's just not eye-opening, but it is a what, almost a 20% increase, even more possibly when you consider that fact than what they were doing in that previous time slot, correct? I think that's correct. But at the same time, it's still pretty low. It's lower rated than what ABC, CBS, and Fox aired in the same slot. And Fox pretty much won the night in... CBS and ABC were following close behind. So right now, the jury's out on the blacklist and whether or not it will retain its slot long term is now in question. If you want to check out what the status of it is as far as its livelihood, whether or not it's going to be renewed, whether it's going to be canceled, or whether or not it's right in the middle on the cut line, you got to check out the tvratingsguide.com today. That's the tvratingsguide.com. Each and every week, they update NBC, ABC, Fox, cable, the whole nine yards as far as everything going on in the TV rating scene when it comes to stuff like The Blacklist and whether or not it's going to stay long term. Another show that I take interest in, which I've told you about, which I kind of like it to a car accident for me where I just cannot stop watching it for some reason, even though I know it's not the greatest, is The Orville. Well, actually, it premiered on Sunday and did mediocre. But then when it moved back on its usual Thursday 9 p.m. slot, it hit a new series low of a 0.6. I know that's about 2.82 million people watching it now, which is a little bit lower than what they were doing you're definitely right on that. I saw that earlier before we went on the air. And for someone that is a kind of fan of the Orville, and I know a lot of people out there do enjoy it, it seems like they weren't able to bring that football crowd that watches after the football game into watching it on a Thursday night. Yeah, it's just mostly it's loyal audience. And some of it may be part of the demo aging out as well. And there's people that watch it on streaming too. It was brought like, over a year hiatus, pretty much. Last fall, it premiered in September. Now, it has a December premiere, and not that many people knew it was back. I agree with you on that assessment, because I know they made the announcement at Comic-Con, but it was kind of light comparative to other announcements that were made, and Fox really didn't give it much momentum until just before it got premiered. I agree with you on that. There might have been a, a lack of knowledge as far as it being out. And there was a delay as far as the actual show itself being renewed for its next season. 
So yeah, it's uh, it's kind of concerning for fans of the Orville right now. We're going to have to see how it plays out. But yes, for updates on that show, just check out the TVRaysGuide.com as well. Well, before I let you go, we've got a lot of shows to run off that are upcoming, returning, or debuting on several networks. And I know both you and Rebecca, who's also at the TVRaysGuide.com, she's been tweeting out there, and I know you have been tweeting out there as well as far as a lot of shows. So let's start off with some of the shows that you're talking about that she's also talking about as well that's coming out. Let's start off with Brooklyn Nine-Nine because that's something that's created a lot of conversation, something that I'm not happy that Superstore got pushed back for. So it's picking up that Superstore's time slot. Tell me how you think it's going to do comparatively to Superstore because it's gotten a lot of hype. I feel like it's going to do about the same as Superstore. The only difference is it's in syndication and it moved networks. So even with a 0.8 a 0.7 or 0.8 or 0.9, that's still pretty good for NBC comedy as a whole compared to dramas, which are more likely higher rated than the comedy aspect. I know also a lot of people are looking forward to the return of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but there was a reason why it left Fox. But then again, it could find the same kind of success that Fox's recent acquisition of The Last Man Standing has seen. So That could be another TV success right there for you. One thing I also want to talk to you about is Schooled on ABC. Let me know a little bit more about Schooled and your thoughts on its ratings future. Well, it's basically a spinoff of the Goldbergs, and that has the 830 slot. So it'll probably get like similar ratings to American Housewife, but not as much. There's also a time slot change for A Million Little Things, like right after Grey's Anatomy. Does that bode well for that show, or does that mean that ABC is losing confidence in that series? I think that bodes well for it, but rather a loss of confidence in Station 19. It's not retaining as much information, ratings-wise, from Grey's Anatomy, and Grey's Anatomy has a low live rating ratio. Most of it is performed on the same day people DVR it. And then you've also got another show that's coming out on CBS called FAM. Your thoughts on FAM, which show is it replacing and your outlook on FAM? Well, FAM is replacing Murphy Brown on the 930 time slot. And usually when a new show is at 930, it usually does not do as well, though. So I'd expect either Life in Pieces or Man with a Plan to replace it. Obviously, the lack of success from Murphy Brown has put that time slot on a free fall, and it's going to take something out of the box, I think, for it to pick it back up at some point. And I don't think FAM looks like it's going to be that type of show that will do that. Match Game is also returning to television. What are your thoughts on Match Game? I'm guessing as long as it maintains its ratings, pretty much, but I kind of doubt it with Alec Baldwin having his talk show pretty much effectively canceled. Yeah, he hasn't really had a good a good enough. He's had some troubles both in and out of entertainment. The SNL skits do very well for him, but he did find an ending when it came to the Mission Impossible series as far as so his regular movie gig has uh, kind of gone by the wayside. But also his TV show, like you said, the Alec Baldwin show, just got effectively canceled. The TVRG and you reported that. But- After the Alec Baldwin show hit a point one close to the 0.0 Blue Tarski. Wow. It's like, it's like near Dynasty level, pretty much, or Crazy Ex-Girlfriend level. Yeah, and actually for an ABC show, that's almost unheard of. So I'm sorry for him, but you know what? I think he'll get over it. I think his paycheck will be just fine near in the future. And Match Game, regardless of what you think about him and and what he does and whatnot, Match Game is something that people either buy into because the revival of all these old TV game shows or you're not going to buy in on them. Some of them have worked, but some of them have also fell flat on their face. The Gong Show after two seasons. Match Game is pretty much a casual audience. Sometimes it goes low for one week or two, and then it comes back up. So it's pretty much casual viewing. Speaking of games, Ellen has a show coming out called Ellen's Game of Games. I kind of like the commercial that comes out as far as what I've seen so far. So tell me your thoughts on Ellen's Game of Games 
And if her name, similar to what we saw with The Rock and Titan Games, if that's something that is really going to be of big interest to people out there. Well, it's going to do pretty well. Not voice level, but it's going to do pretty well at first. But then after that, it might flame out. Is that something you see traditionally with shows of this type? Pretty much. It's what happened to Little Big Shots with Steve Harvey. That was after it got moved to Sundays. Then Ellen's Game of Games. I think with her name and her staying power amongst fans out there, I think it might have a little bit longer lifespan than that show. But you're right. Uh, whether or not she wants to commit to it long term, we'll have to wait and see. It all depends, like you said, on the ratings, whether or not NBC wants to continue paying the checks for Ellen, because I, I know she does not come cheap, especially uh, doing another show like that. Another competition show that will also be on NBC is America's Got Talent Champions. And America's Got Talent Champions is now a, is that a true spinoff of America's Got Talent? Or is that something that they're just going ahead and, and still blending into the America's Got Talent scene? I kind of think it's kind of like a battle of the vets on the EGT. Because it's basically, they brought in some of their most memorable contestants from all 12 seasons of America's Got Talent. And you see long-running competition shows do this, Big Brother, Survivor. They've done similar type deals already. So this is something that maybe people were looking forward to. But I want to ask you, when a competition show mixes up a little bit, sometimes it's successful and sometimes it's not when they deviate from the general format that they've been doing. The things that will be kept the same is the judges will be the same as the summer season. There is a difference in host. We're not really sure if Tyra is going to return for the summer season, but Terry Crews is going to be hosting the AGT champions. Mm, convenient. He's also taking care of stuff at Brooklyn Nine-Nine. So we'll have to see how that, how that works out with his new relationship with NBC on both those shows. So that's definitely interesting news. And for continuing updates on that, you got to go ahead and check out TVRG the tvratingsguide.com. You go ahead, you check out all the renewed cancel stuff that's going on with each and every network and also cable as well. We got to talk about the CW. What's going on this, with the CW and also the return of a place I was near in New Mexico just recently where it was negative eight around there. But Roswell, New Mexico is returning to the television waves out there Tell me your thoughts on what's going on with Roswell, New Mexico, and the rest of CW. Roswell, New Mexico is going to be rebooted with a brand new cast. And it's going to be premiering January 15th behind The Flash. And usually The Flash lead-in has a mixed bag this season. Black Lightning is not doing as well as it should be under The Flash. And it did well last season with mid-season. But... The way they're going with the romance angle on Roswell, New Mexico, that's going to turn off the Flash audience. So your thoughts on Roswell, New Mexico, because it's such a different type format. And like you said, they're changing the entire cast of it. Seems like it's a reach for it. Is this a warning sign to you and the rest of TBRG that this could be the end of that show? Pretty much, but it's the reboot. I'm thinking it's because of its production company. Because you have Charmed with CBS already doing okay. It's the highest rated CBS show. We also have Dynasty, which is on Fridays, 0.1.2 around there. And that's going to be covered for another season, at least, because of the Netflix deal. And with Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and Jane the Virgin and iZombie ending, there's got to be at least one or two other shows that are going to be on the chopping block. And we don't know if it's the 100, but I do think it's going to get another season. DW usually gives out final seasons within reasonable amount of time. They stopped doing that since they stopped ultimately canceling it, or with Uncertain Face, they stopped doing that since Heart of Dixie. So the school's still out on Roswell, New Mexico, although the future, even with a new cast, doesn't look entirely Roswell-y. Let's put it that way, but... Hopefully they'll have a lot of warmer climates there than they than I did when I was in New Mexico just recently. Once again, it is Jessica Box from the TVRatingsGuide.com. Before we head on out as well, I want to ask you, what things are you working on with the TV Ratings Guide? Besides a renewed cancel predictions, I also have 
two new original shows that are coming out pretty soon. Writer's Block just recently premiered, and I have a teen drama that's going to be premiering sometime in March. Always interesting to see how that plays out each and every time a new show comes on the air, a new original network show that comes on the air for the TVRainsGuide.com. If you want to check out all those original shows are about, just check out the TVRainsGuide.com. Or every now and then you might even see it on the Pop Culture Cosmos and popculturecosmos.wordpress.com because we actually have the pleasure of also showing off the writer's block, the first episode as well. So check it out there or on the tvraysguide.com. Jessica, it's always great to have you on the show. Cannot wait for a February update and talk about a lot of good things that are going on, including a good idea on some of these returning shows and whether or not they're going to live or they're going to die. Kind of like either with criminal minds or not. Exactly, exactly. Always great to have you on the show, Jessica, and always great to have you a part of the pop culture cosmos. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. And we're back to close out the show. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you need a listing where we're at, because we're being played on 15 different radio stations all around the world, and welcome back the Podcast Radio Network. Just check out our social media today on Facebook, Pop Culture Cosmos, and the listings are right there for you, plus a lot of listings of our podcast options as well. My friend, you've got a great thing going on with Humanica Media, including a couple more great reviews, which I kind of thank you for, for doing at least one today. But I think you've got a couple more on the fire coming up, along with a lot of other stuff. So let us know, my friend, on that and more when it comes to Humanica Media. Well, the reviews are Pop Culture Cosmos. Coming at you on Wednesday, I have a review of Spyro Reignited, and then the following saturday i want to say i have my at games review goes up there you can actually read all these right now though if you want to go mosey on over to www.popculturecosmos.com as for humanic and media topic apocalypse has a new episode out where i sat down and interviewed the ceo of spaces the company responsible for the terminator salvation vr experience in the irvine spectrum so check that out now you live in the irvine area go ahead and check that out also because it it is pretty cool seems pretty cool i'm gonna go try it myself here soon also don't forget that this episode is brought to you by miracle fruit oils vitabrace high performance gaming wristband and if you listen to this show and you get the promo code attached to it use it at checkout when you're on www.miraclefruitoil.com we will give you a free sonic the hedgehog game code it's a sonic the hedgehog code from steam that you can go ahead and just go on miraclefruitoil.com. You buy the great product, get the discount, and you'll get a free game from us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos, a Sonic the Hedgehog game from Steam. Well, before we head on out, my friend, I got to ask you real quick, CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, is back here in Vegas this week. What are you most interested in seeing or hearing about when it comes to the Consumer Electronics Show? Okay, so I've been thinking about this. I, I want to know televisions, okay? So televisions have become significantly cheaper in the past five years, right? So you can go out and buy a, like a 60-inch TV. What, that used to cost over two grand for a 60-inch TV? And now you can get it for 400 to $800 and get a decent 60-inch television set. And now they have 80-inch TVs, right? 80-inch TVs used to be something you could only get with, you know, the, the, the big flat screens, you know, the big CRT flat screens. Because the bigger the picture got, the worse the resolution got. And now they have these big TVs that cover the entire wall. But I want to know like more about the technology behind that, how they're going to market that as a household item. Less people are using green screens now and more are using like LED walls. So I really am interested in TV technology and how, how far it's come, where it's going. And last year they had some pretty cool stuff out there, like a TV you could you could roll up and then you know spread out on a wall or something. So 
that's kind of what every CES I, I look forward to to checking out what's new with with TVs. As for like gadgets and stuff, I a lot of that stuff I don't really know about until like I you know I see the articles of all the stuff popping up at CES. But TVs are the things that I'm most interested in because that technology seems to change every year. So every time you buy something, it's almost becomes completely outdated and something new pops up, you know, next year or even sooner than that. So where is the future going to go? And are we going to reach a point where there's going to be VR technology associated with television and, and movie viewing? So I'm just waiting for that announcement. And that's kind of what I'm looking forward to, to hopefully hearing about this year at CES. But what are your thoughts on all this? As the sizes and development of those sizes increase, 4K is going to evolve into 8K because 8K is now something that is a reality at all these trade shows that I see, whether it's NAB or CES. When is 8K going to become a reality as far as being something that people can buy out there? And when is 4K going to become the next 1080? And, you know, it, it, the resolution just gets better and better. And the picture and the and the viewing just gets better and better. And just the problem is it's still not translating down to the average consumer as of yet. Will we start seeing that? I'm not sure. But at this point in time, it's still nice to see that at least you can get a large size television for a price that's attainable as opposed to what you could do in the past. When it comes to what I'm looking for at CES, I'm looking for a lot of experiences, immersive experiences in home audio. I'm looking for more experiences with headsets, headphones, those type of experiences. For gaming, I'm looking for movie experiences that it can go ahead and interact with a little bit more, just surround sound systems that to me will, will appeal to, to not only myself, but others I, re I write reviews for. and that people can really get into when it comes to consumer electronics. Yeah, there's going to be an assortment of this and that. I mean, I've been inundated with literally thousands of emails since November in regards to, you know, being invited to several things to see at the Consumer Electronics Show. Off the top of my head, I've been asked if I want to go ahead and learn how to DJ in an hour. I've been asked to have my brain scanned. I've been asked to look at the smart kitty litter box. I've been asked to see if I want to go ahead and become more aware of what's going on in the world of auto driving, grocery shopping, and you know, just oddball stuff like that, plus a lot of drones, plus a lot of stuff relating to gaming, plus a lot of stuff related to video and audio, and just a whole bunch of stuff that's out there. I think probably the one that was out there, even though it's not as much as previous years, I usually get a lot more stuff in previous years that were just really just out there and oddball stuff. But I think the iCat toilet, that I've been asked to check out, that's probably the most thing that's out there that I've been asked to see this year. And I'm looking at it now at the email that I've been sent to it, and it's the IoT cat toilet, la vibat. So I'll let your mind wander on that, my friend. But to me, it looks like a cat getting in and out of a washer. I guess that's probably the best way I can say it. I saw a commercial for that. I don't know if I'll be stopping by and talking to them. I may get around to it just for kicks, but yes, I've been getting stuff sent like this and invites for all over CES, not only just at the convention center, but SANS and, and the whole nine yards. These thousands and thousands of companies are descending down upon Las Vegas. They're all hoping for your interest. They're all hoping for maybe more capital, more buyers, more buzz, more social media, more of something when they're going there. But it is a flood, and a lot of these small companies are going to get flooded over because they don't have something that's really going to stand out. You'll see the same things from the same people, from the same companies over and over and over again, even in the same areas. And it looks repetitive from time to time. But then every now and then, there are companies that will do what they can to try and stand out. And that's what makes it worth going each and every year for, for the Consumer Electronics Show. If you have anything that you want me to check out at CES, give me a shout out on Twitter at PopCultureCosmo or on Instagram at Pop underscore Culture underscore Cosmos or even on our good old Pop Culture Cosmos Facebook page. Send me a message and I'll do my very best this week to try and go ahead and give it some coverage. We'll be recording lots of interviews when we're down there. So looking forward to doing that all this week at CES.
My friend, it's been another great episode. Again, we'd like to thank Jessica Boggs from the TV Reigns Guide for stopping by for her January TV update. Any last thoughts on the way out? Yes, I'm honestly excited to see all the stuff coming out of CES. So we're going to have to do some uh, little chatting on the uh, future tech coming out of there. So I'll be expecting a full report on the next episode, all right? Don't let me down. I'm going to tell you what was hot and what was not when it comes to the Consumer Electronics Show on our Friday episode, The PCC Multiverse. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the pop culture cosmos. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great day. Do you enjoy TV shows, movies, video games, comics, or novels? Do you enjoy listening to people discuss geeky topics without getting bent out of shape when they disagree? If you do, then the 42 Cast is right for you. We're a podcast with a rotating cast of guests that discusses a new topic every week. You can find us on Stitcher Radio, iTunes, Google Play, or 42cast.com. You can also support us and the entire ESO Network by going to patreon.com slash ESO Network. That's the 42 cast, your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos and stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos.